This is VLX number 68, More Than a Prophet. We are in Matthew chapter 11, verses 7 through 10. God give you his peace, and nomine patri sefiri, spiritu santi, amen. God, our Lord, we ask the grace that all of our intentions, actions, and operations be directed purely to the service and praise of your divine majesty. In nomine patri sefiri, spiritu santi, amen. And just FYI, John in the next few gospels here refers to John the Baptist, not John the Apostle. Matthew 11. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Thus are the words of the Holy Gospel. Okay, we continue in VLX here. This is my patristic Bible study and Ignatian meditation. You might notice the Ignatians getting a little bit shorter by now. Remember that the patristic Bible study I give you can feed the Ignatian meditation. What I give you for the Lectio Divina study can actually feed the discursive mental prayer of the imagination. So go back and listen to the very few VLXs, the very first few VLXs in the beginning of this, if you like the imaginative way of prayer. But please see it this way, that all the study that I give from here on out, that's going to be feeding both the patristic Bible study and the Ignatian meditation. In other words, I'm not abandoning the Ignatian people, but you just don't need me to probably outline your imagination anymore with anything except theology, since even the parents who have their little kids listening probably know how to to do it by now. Um, and I think it's VLX number two where you can uh, learn that way of prayer. You know, last week I mentioned that St. John the Baptist was cleansed of original sin by the Holy Spirit using the vehicle of Mary's voice when she came to visit Elizabeth. Uh, sadly, when I googled that before my blog on it, I found there was only one other blog on this and it basically said, well, it's pious tradition, but we Catholics don't really know. Well, that's not true. Um, it's not that Catholics are shooting in the dark at some pious tradition. We do have a consensus of the fathers, and of course this comes from Father Lapide. So this actually ties into how holy John the Baptist is as you enter both the method of study and imagination. Here's what Father Lapide says about John the Baptist losing all original sin and being absolutely justified for his life that would completely avoid actual sin, both mortal and venial, for the rest of his life. Sorry for the high gain on my microphone there. Turn it down. It should work for the rest of this podcast here. So this is what Father Labide says, quote, Was John then truly cleansed from original sin in the womb and justified? St. Augustine and St. Jerome maintain that he was not. For they say that John and Jeremiah are both said to have been sanctified in the womb, not really, but according to the predestination of God. For they were ordained to future sanctity, so that the same is said here concerning John, that the apostle says of himself, who separated me from my mother's womb. The reason that St. Augustine gives is that to be born again presupposes being born. But John, when in the womb, was not yet born, therefore he could not have been born again in reality, but only according to the predestination of God. But, and here's what most of the church fathers say, so we're going to go with this, but the common opinion of the fathers is contrary to this, including St. Athanasius, St. Cyprian, St. Ambrose, Pope St. Gregory the Great, and others, which I, Father Lapide, approve of, First, because the angel here most clearly promises, quote, he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost even from his mother's womb, end quote. 
Secondly, because at the salutation of the Blessed Virgin, he believed in Christ when in the womb. For at that time, it was when he was visited and saluted by the Blessed Virgin in the sixth month from his conception that this wonderful sanctification took place. To the argument of St. Augustine, I answer that a man, in order that he may be born again, may be considered as born when he has been conceived in the womb. For then, as he is born in original sin, so also he can by grace be born again and even baptized as is clear from the practice of the church in certain cases. So that ends the quote from Father Lapide there. A friend of mine pointed out also that on the calendar, and this is actually East and West, not just the Western calendar, you can only celebrate saints. And the fact that we celebrate the birth of Jesus and Mary and John the Baptist proves that they were sanct- that they were already absolutely holy at birth. Of course, Jesus and Mary from the very moment of conception, John the Baptist was conceived in original sin, but born without original sin, why? Because the Holy Ghost, through the voice of Mary, cleansed him of original sin. And this is when he leaped for joy in the womb of Elizabeth. And if you think that sounds fanciful, just go back one minute on this podcast and listen to all those saints, St. Athanasius, St. Cyprian, St. Ambrose, St. Gregory, that all say this was the case. Okay, let's look at the Bible here. Matthew eleven seven. Jesus says of St. John the Baptist, What did you go out into the desert to see? A reed shaken by the wind? Pretty mysterious line. This is what Father Lapide is saying. Quote, Christ would remove any suspicion which might arise among the people from this message of John that he had changed his opinion concerning Christ, that whereas he had formerly thought him to be the Messiah, now he doubted it and had sent his disciples to Jesus to interrogate him. In other words, Father Lapide is saying this was never the case. Reeds shake in the wind, according to popular opinion, John the Baptist never doubted. As we learned last time, he sent his disciples to prove to them Christ is the Messiah. But the, the fathers are unanimous, almost unanimous, that John the Baptist himself never doubted. Father Lapide continues, quote, So Jesus, as it were, said, Suppose not, O ye Jews, that John thinks otherwise of me than he thought before. For John is not a reed to be shaken back and forth by the wind, that he should lightly assert a thing, and afterwards waver and retract it on account of what men say. John is like an oak, which stands unmoved in faith and steadfastness against every blast, whether of those who praise or those who blame. What he thought and so freely testified of before, when he was at liberty, he thinks and testifies with equal fortitude now that he has been shut up by Herod in prison. What a beautiful thing for us to pray for. And here we have John the Baptist. He was unmoved in faith and steadfast against every blast, whether of those who praise or those who blame. That's a very interesting thing because, you know, praise for us Christians can be just as detrimental as blame. Blame can make us weak and fall away from our convictions, but praise can get us so prideful that we fall away from Christ also. So what Jesus is saying, interpreted by Father Lapide, is John the Baptist was like an oak, quote, which stands unmoved in faith and steadfastness against every blast, whether of those who praise or those who blame. He means him. And then he quotes Pope St. Gregory the Great a little bit later, not a direct quote, and also St. John Chrysostom. That man is a reed who lightly believes something on hearsay and thus disbelieves it lightly because of contrary rumors and changes his opinion. A reed is the one who performs acts of piety so as to be praised by men, but soon omits them because others ridicule him. A reed is someone who preaches true doctrine because of the splendid rewards promised, but conceals it or calls it into question when others threaten. 
So right there we have John the Baptist. This is why the Pharisees didn't like him. He preached the truth in season and out of season. Also, Pope St. Gregory Wright says, What else but the carnal mind is signified by the reed, which leans to either side as soon as praise or detraction reaches it. For if a breath of favor should blow from human lips, it is cheered and exalted, as it were, bows down completely to this favor. But if the wind of detraction should come and burst forward towards the direction from which the breeze of favor came, soon this bends its another way toward the force of its fury. But a reed shaken by the wind, John, was not. For neither the favor of flatteries nor the wrath of any detraction perturbed him. Prosperity could not exalt him, nor could adversity bend him. A reed shaken by the wind, John was not, for no variety of circumstance bent him from his uprightness. Okay, the next verse. What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing. Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. Now, it's interesting. The word there, soft, in Greek literally means effeminate. And Jesus is asking people if they went out to the wilderness to see this delicate celebrity or the manliest man they ever saw. Now, notice what is translated as soft. is It's twice in there, but again, the Greek means effeminate. Christ says, What then did you go out to see a man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. What then did you go out to see? Okay, so that word soft there in verse 8, that's malakois and malaka. I just said it was in there twice. Malakois and malaka, which doesn't only mean soft, but also homosexual. In fact, it's the same word in Greek as St. Paul uses in 1 Corinthians 6, 9, when he has this list of all the people who will not inherit the kingdom of God including malakoi, uh, most likely meaning, of course, those who live it out or consent, not those who have feelings or temptations, since the church and the fathers have never ascribed sin to temptation resisted. We continue with Father Lapide here. It is as if Christ were to say, quote, John is not soft and delicate. He does not long for the splendid tables of the rich scribes, and so he has no reason to flatter them by changing and disowning the truth that he has spoken about me. For he does not seek the cities and the great halls, but the desert. He is not clothed in soft clothing or fed with choice dishes, but wears sackcloth of camel's hairs and eats locusts and wild honey. That is why neither great halls nor courtly manners flatter your ambition thwart him, since he despises all worldly glory and pleasures, being a hermit whose indwelling is in heaven. So remember, he ate locusts and wild honey. Funny thing is, I'm kind of getting into uh, reading about going for the keto diet, Obviously, eating only meat would not be a good idea for me as a hermit. But here you have a hermit on a very high-protein diet, locusts. I think people were putting something on Twitter yesterday about eating cicadas. And then wild honey, which kind of strangely is very, very, what is it, high in the glycogen count? It's, it's the least bad for diabetics out there. So here you have a high-protein, uh, pro-diabetic diet. We always thought this was gross that he was living on that, but shows that what God even gives to his saints is ultimately healthy for the body, it seems. Okay, in the next verse, this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. This is, of course, a reference to Malachi 3. This is one of my favorite lines on John the Baptist in the whole New Testament. Now imagine some courier of king in the Middle Ages bringing this message to the, all the peoples on maybe some rolled up parchment. But then this courier has two goals. He also has to prepare the people for the king, rolling out the red carpet, getting them all cleaned up and ready to see their king. Or modern day, imagine some courier of a sultan in Saudi Arabia. He brings some announcement to a large city, but then he's also in charge of getting everybody ready for that king. You know, come out of your social media holes and come meet the great sultan. But today's gospel tells us what kind of courier he is because 
It tells us what kind of king we are serving. You see, it's not a king of fancy clothing and self-aggrandizing love, but self-sacrificial love. Why did the Jewish world and the pagan world convert to follow such a king? St. Alphonsus Liguori gives us three reasons. One, the miracles of the saints. Two, the fortitude of the martyrs. And three, Old Testament prophecies that were fulfilled in Christ. You know, there's a lot of people who think there was five or ten Old Testament prophecies fulfilled in Christ. Dr. Taylor Marshall, at the back of The Crucified Rabbi, one of his books, he shows there's over 300 prophecies of the Old Testament that Christ fulfilled, including his passion, death, and resurrection, being rejected by the religious leaders of his time, whipped, killed, put in a tomb for three days, and rises three days later. So those three from Liguori, the miracles of the saints, the fortitude of the martyrs, and then the 300 Old Testament prophecies, 300 plus, that Christ fulfilled including and especially the resurrection. Again, what did you go out to see? A prophet, yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet, this is he of whom it was written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face. Who will prepare your way before you? Malachi 3.1. Now, there's a couple really interesting lists, so hang tight on these. Some people love numbers of lists and some people don't, but I want to tell you what Father Lapide has to say about this. Christ said that John the Baptist was more than a prophet. He gives a bunch of reasons. One, because he had foretold Christ's coming, so that soon he might point him out as being present. Therefore, he himself was not only a prophet, but also a herald of Christ. Number two, because he, illuminated by the divine spirit, recognized Christ and the economy of Christ in the flesh more clearly, fully, and perfectly than any of the prophets. Number three, because John the Baptist was the angel, that is, the ambassador and precursor of Christ himself, and immediately sent by him, and that in his presence and before his face, according to the words of Malachi 3.1, Behold, I send my angel, messenger, before my face, who shall prepare thy way before thee, as Christ adds. And number four, because John himself was altogether greater than all the prophets, as Christ asserts. So I think everybody knows this, but when we refer to him as an angel, remember the word angel just means messenger. Of course, the angels are a different species. That means they are pure spirit, and all angels are either angels or demons. They have no bodies. However, John the Baptist, even though he had a body, he's known as a messenger. We do not believe he had the nature of an angel, like a seraphim or a fallen angel, which is a demon. But we do call him angel just in the sense that he was the messenger and because his life was so holy. Last time I said that John the Baptist was this threshold, the morning star between the darkness of the Old Testament and the light of the New Testament where Christ is the sun, S-U-N and S-O-N. So why was John the Baptist the greatest of all prophets? Another list from Father Lapide, page 531. He says, you may say that Moses was greater than John because it was said of him in Deuteronomy 34.10, and there arose no more a prophet in Israel like unto Moses. I reply that it goes on, whom the Lord knew face to face and all the signs and the wonders which he sent by him to do in the land of Egypt to Pharaoh, which means that there was no prophet like unto Moses in his familiar converse with God and the power by which he smote Egypt with plagues. But in other things, John was equal with and even greater than Moses and the rest of the prophets. Why? Okay, here's where we have a list of six things. Why St. John the Baptist was greater than all the prophets of the Old Testament. First, because John was sanctified in his mother's womb and actually prophesied, leaping for joy in the womb, he announced to his mother and the others that Christ was now incarnate in the womb of the Blessed Virgin. So says St. John Chrysostom and Euthemius. Moreover, we do not read this about Moses or any other prophet. 
Second, because only John instituted the baptism of repentance and baptized Christ with it. Jesus was not sanctified by the waters, but he sanctified all the waters of the whole planet. Third, he was the first to preach the kingdom of heaven and converted many and brought them into it. Again, speaking of John the Baptist here, preached the kingdom of heaven and converted many and brought them into it. Fourth, St. John the Baptist was sent by God to be Christ's precursor and the friend of the bridegroom so that he might now show him to the whole world and testify that he is the Messiah and the only Son of God. This office and dignity far surpasses all the offices and dignities of the prophets. Fifth, he is compared to an angel by Malachias or Malachi and is promised long before his birth as he was foreshadowed by Elias and the other prophets, for they were types of John. Another term for Elijah is Elias. Sixth, the spirit, prophecy, life, and deeds of John were more abundant and sublime than those of the other prophets according to St. Jerome and St. Augustine. For John was, so to speak, a continual miracle in his conception, in the womb, in his birth, in his angelic life. For by a miracle he was conceived of barren parents. By a miracle he recognized, saluted, and adored Christ in the womb. By a miracle he inspired everyone with joy at his birth. By a miracle at his circumcision he restored speech to his mute father. By a miracle the boy went into the desert and lived his whole life there like an angel. So here's what I would suggest for the Ignatian imaginative way of prayer, but I would suggest that those doing the study way of prayer, the patristic Bible study, might want to continue and listen to this. So one thing you could enter into is the visitation. Remember, we did not have the visitation at the beginning of Matthew, but you could go to the beginning of Luke chapter 1, second half of Luke 1, I should say, and pretend like you are with Elizabeth and Mary as John the Baptist leaps in the womb of Elizabeth. Just that interaction. Imagine if that much grace coming from Mary's voice would wash away the original sin of John the Baptist. Just imagine hearing Our Lady's voice speak. You, without sounding corny, you would leap for joy too. Um, that's not, you know, superficial theology. John the Baptist literally leaped the first time he heard Mary's voice. Maybe we will in heaven too, the first time we hear Mary's voice. Leap for joy in the power of the Holy Ghost. So just be there um, on that visitation with, with Mary and Elizabeth. I usually picture, I just said at the beginning this, I'm not going to give you pointers, but now I'm going to give you a pointer. I usually picture the personality of Elizabeth as, um, I don't want to say wild by any means, but she's a little bit louder than Our Lady and maybe high energy and Our, and Our Lady is just so recollected. But even that recollected voice of Mary, the Holy Theotokos makes John the Baptist and maybe even Elizabeth leap for joy. Um, if you want to go the more quiet route, let's look at John chapter 1. I think it was St. John of the Cross says, God's first language was silence. In the old traditional Mass, the traditional Latin Mass, we always end every Mass with John chapter 1. It's when the priest, for the second time, is on the left side, the Gospel side, and at every Mass, or 364 out of 365 days, 363 days a year, we say John chapter 1 at the end of it. And if you listen closely to John chapter 1, you'll see why John the Baptist is mentioned. Why in the world would John the Baptist be mentioned as we commemorate and adore the Incarnation, the second person of the Trinity, the eternal word becoming man. Well, we're going to see why such a powerful and miraculous ascetic like John the Baptist was thought to be the Messiah. He wasn't, don't get me wrong. John the Baptist was not the Messiah, but we can understand if we look at John 1, why people thought that. You know, nobody mistook him for a crazy person back then, like a lot of these modern movies make John the Baptist. Again, silence was God's first language, as St. John of the Cross said, and whose order, the Carmelites, by the way, were founded by Elijah, who was the forerunner of the forerunner, John the Baptist. But anyway, if silence is God's first language, 
then even the imaginative way of prayer can bring us into this silence of the darkness before time and then the darkness of the world, seeing Christ coming into it. And we don't need to have any conversation except just this preparation and this contemplation, even for the imaginative way of prayer. This is one where you can just be in the silence of John chapter 1, in the darkness before creation and coming to see the Trinity with all of his light, the eternal light, the unapproachable light of the Trinity bringing created light to the universe and or the darkness of the world in the year zero between BC and 80, all the darkness of sin and the light of Christ entering the world. This is what St. John the Apostle is doing is it is a juxtaposition of Genesis 1 with the incarnation. John chapter 1 reads, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, He gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. Please say an hour, Father, for me, that I may practice what I preach. At benedictio Dei omnipotentis, pace se fidi, et spiritu sante, descendet super vos et maniat semper. Amen.